0: Good morning, Calvary. We have an Easter tradition around here, as so many churches do. I would like to say, He is risen, and let you respond with, He is risen indeed. Can we do that? He is risen. risen We're talking about Easter and the story today, and it might be a little bit different for you to think, why are they reading an Old Testament passage to talk about Easter? The reason that we're doing that is we've been wrapping up a series called Ebenezer, and the idea of Ebenezer has been walking through Hebrews chapter 11, which is found in the New Testament, and reflects the stories of the Old Testament to show how every story points to the Easter story. And how as we look in those stories, there are these markers of faith called Ebenezers that allow us to lean into where God has been. So Ebenezers are as a marker of past hope Fulfilled by God's faithfulness, giving us an assurance of future hope. And so we look at these markers of faith. We, we see the story of Abraham, and God said, Look at the stars, Abraham, and every star is going to represent a future descendant of us. And you look at Noah, and you remember the rainbow, and that's an Ebenezer showing us of God's faithfulness and how he promised to never destroy the world again. But let us be clear, the ultimate marker of hope that we have. The ultimate marker of faith we have is found on what happened on the Good Friday and the Resurrection morning. The cross and the stone that rolled away the empty tomb are our Ebenezer's of hope. And Ebenezer markers that we link to, the the idea that Jesus has a plan and Jesus has a purpose and that every story points us back to the fact that God has a plan for you and that you were not a mistake, that you were carefully woven together in your mother's womb. That God has a plan and a purpose for you. The idea that you were made to experience and walk in a relationship with God can be measured in the fact that we trust that God is alive. This is the Easter story. And as we think about it, when we trace it back and we understand the need for it, we find a reflection of the pattern of every time there was an Ebenezer story found throughout the Bible, a marker of past hope, a a stone, a a symbol, something that allows us to lean into God's faith. There's always a pattern that I think we can relate to today. The pattern goes like this. There's a time in your life where you will feel helpless. The water will feel over your head. Amen. Maybe you came in today and that water feels over your head. And you're sitting there going, God, this feels so unstable. God, where are you? That helplessness leads us to a place where we cry out that recognizes human nature because sin has entered the world, has gone downhill that there is a struggle, that there is a journey that we have to go on, that there's a time in our life when we realize, I can't control this world, and this world feels like chaos, either as a result of something I've done or something somebody else has done. And in that moment, we cry out and we go, God, help me. And the loving God will be there. But i got to warn you, in the pattern of the Ebenezer movement, It doesn't go straight from helplessness to victory. Oh, victory's coming. But on the Easter story, after Good Friday, Saturday had to happen first. A day of lamenting. A day of agony day of going, God, if you're so faithful, where are you providing? God, if you're so faithful, how are you going to bring this back into fruition? God, if you're so faithful, where are you now? And we can sometimes misconstrue, misunderstand that the idea of a heart that is burdened, a heart that is longing, a heart that is in agony, waiting for the deliverance of God can feel like silence, can feel like God doesn't care. And that's when we lean back into these Ebenezer moments to remind us God is going to make a way. So if you're lamenting today, know that God has a plan. And when I, our hope is that you use this Easter Sunday as a reminder and a marker of your faith going forward to trust that God is who He says He is. You see, ultimately, We're going to find victory if you have a relationship with jesus and that victory is found through faith believing that god is who he says he is believing that he is going to do what he says he's going to do and faith is important because faith leads you more deeply into the presence of god and this is what it means to be a follower of jesus because the presence of god connects us to how good he really is so when centered into this world we lost the goodness we, we went from only knowing good to knowing good and evil. And the struggle that we have there is we want to go, God, why is there evil in this world? And God says, I came to rescue you from the good, from the evil into good. And it's that presence that we're longing for. That is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what faith is about. But I think sometimes we don't understand faith because we, we see the way the world spews faith. Maybe we even grew up in a church that misaligned or or caused us to misunderstand what faith is. So let's real quickly discuss what faith is not. Faith is not a list of rules. It is not a list of thou shalt nots. Oh, sure, God wants us to, to walk and to be more like him. This is called the journey of holiness, the idea of being more and more like him. And we are called to be moral people. But the morality that we have comes from a desire of wanting to please God and to be in his presence. Another thing faith is not is trying to earn God's favor. Why? Because none of us can earn God's favor because we are all sinners. We all fall short of the measure of what it means to look. And God gives us unconditional love despite our faults and failures. Faith is not trying to earn God's favor. And faith is not just a part of our lives. But rather, faith is found when we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, as it says in Luke. It's the idea of saying, God, you are my everything. You are all that I want. It's the presence of him that allows us to encounter him in a unique and powerful way. You see, we were separated, but God has made a way. And we always knew that God was going to make a way. What happened on Easter Sunday As the famous quote, I believe, from Kyle Ottoman says, Easter Sunday was never plan B. It was always plan A. And we see that story whispered throughout the Old Testament. So let's look again briefly at the story of Abraham and Isaac. You see, Abraham had been told that he is going to be the father of many generations. And they struggled to have a child. And one day, God blessed them with a son named Isaac. And then as he was chasing after god god said i want you to go take isaac up on the mountain and you're going to make a sacrifice hinting that isaac would be the sacrifice you talk about lamenting you talk about wondering and questioning and doubting god are you faithful god why are you asking me to do this and sometimes when we chase after god it's not always going to be cake and ice cream with no weight gain you know what i'm saying Chasing after God means sometimes there will be struggles, there will be difficult decisions to make, there will be priorities that have to be realigned, but we trust and have faith that God is who he says he is, and so we're willing to go on the journey. And so Abraham went. And as he's getting ready to sacrifice his son, we pick up the story that was read again by Emily earlier in Genesis 22, 11 through 14. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he replied, here am I. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your only son from him. And then Abraham looked up and he saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. Get that. He saw a ram. He saw a ram. An animal that was going to take the place of the sacrifice of his son. So Abram went and took the ram and offered it, and offered it as a burnt offering in a place of his son, and Abraham named the place, the Lord will provide. So today it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. You see, God will provide in your hurting and your agony, and I don't know how long the season of lament may last when you're going through a series season of it. I don't know how long the helplessness will come, but victory will come as sure as the tomb is empty. We have hope and we have faith that God has an eternal plan for you and for me. And as Abraham and Isaac were climbing on one side of the mountain, as Michael Boggs said, their provision was climbing the other. As Abraham and Isaac were climbing up one side of the mountain, their provision was climbing the other. They couldn't see it, but God had already made a way where they seemed no way. And so it is with us. So when we look at these Old Testament stories, it's a reminder, it's a foreshadowing, it's seeing that God has made a way for you and for me. And so on that Easter Sunday morning, when the ladies went to the tomb, they were in a great series of helplessness that had turned into lament the Savior of the world, the God they knew, the one that had healed so many that had caused the blind to see, that had provided food from five uh, simple loaves and two fish to feed over 5,000 people, the one who was supposed to take the world upon his shoulder and rescue them was in the grave. Helpless. But Luke 24 tells us the story changed. And on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing spices they had prepared to embalm the tomb. We get that, right? And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and they went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, I would be too, can you imagine? Suddenly two men stood before them in dazzling clothes, so the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. And here's what was said to them. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the man. He is not here. But he has risen. Now, many, many people have tried to discount the fact that Jesus is alive. But we can have faith because the tomb is empty. Ain't nobody found nobody. He is alive and because he is alive we can know jesus because he is still alive this is what it means to be a follower of jesus this is what it means to be a christian this is the epitome of the christmas and the easter story jesus wants you to live and know him he wants to invite you into his presence And the brokenness that you and I feel, the anxiety, the doubt, the dissolution, the addiction, the struggles that we have are all a sin that separated us from God. And as we willfully go that way, it leads us away from the presence of God. Yet the tomb is empty. Yet we can find our hope that God is still alive. Yet Easter is something we live 365 24 7 because the tomb is empty we can walk in the presence of him who is holy so how do we do that in Romans 10 it says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead in other words that Jesus is alive in other words that ain't nobody found nobody you will be saved one believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth Resulting in salvation. You see, we are saved from our own mistakes, our sin, by walking through our own helplessness and lament into victory with Him. Now, here's the way that works. We like that idea. We like the idea of restoration, but we don't like to admit we're broken. Can you admit that you and I are broken? That we have a time where life gets too difficult and a struggle and seems to lack the purpose that we were made for. And you come to the place where you realize, okay, I need this. And so we, we start walking through and go, okay, I want an understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And maybe you were, even as a little kid, you walked forward. Or, or maybe someone at one time led you in a prayer that is very good. It's sometimes called a sinner's prayer. That's a prayer of accepting Jesus. A prayer of salvation is another way. And here's one example of what that looks like. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins and that you rose from the dead. And I ask you to come into my life today. And I trust you to be my Lord and Savior. Amen. And maybe you prayed that prayer one time with a pastor when you were six. Or Aunt Gertrude. I don't know who Aunt Gertrude is, but maybe she was a wonderful lady, right? And you thought that that is what made you a Christian. Now hear me. That prayer is a good prayer, but a prayer is not what saves you. Giving your life to Jesus is what allows you to become a follower of Jesus. That is the confessing, as it talks about in Romans. That is the confessing with your mouth resulting in salvation. But there's another part of that that, uh, verse that says, One must believe with his heart resulting in a righteousness or right living or living with God himself. So why do we say a sinner's prayer? A sinner's prayer is often used as a marker or an Ebenezer of our faith to remind us of a moment that we surrender to God. I remember praying a prayer when I was a real little boy, and it's something about remembering that moment that is a marker of my faith that says that is the moment that I decided I'm going to give my life to Jesus. It wasn't just the words that I said, but it was the fact that I actually gave Jesus my all. Just as Abraham had to trust God with Isaac, we must trust him with our very lives. Now here's the thing. We like the idea of it, but sometimes we don't practically implement what it means to be a follower of Jesus into our life because we haven't holistically given ourselves to him. So let me explain it to you like this, if I may. I'm a married man. You know how you know that? Got a ring. Right there. In fact, i'll even give you a little secret my wife was the one who read the scripture some of you are thinking ain't no way no way that beautiful intelligent grace-filled woman married you and you would be right it's proof that grace exists in this world but the reality is, I am married, and you might then logically come to the conclusion oh, Daniel and Emily are married. I accept that that relationship exists, right? But there's a very different reality of accepting the relationship exists and being in the relationship. And you might even wonder, Daniel, are you really in that relationship? And I would say, yes. I walked forward, and I prayed a prayer, and I, that was a different thing. I walked forward, and I had a ceremony where I wore a tuxedo, because back in the day, that was a trend. And my wife wore a beautiful white dress, and we stood up, and we declared our love for each other. And then we vowed to see each other at least two Sundays a year. Easter and Christmas, we're going to live out that marriage. Woo! That's not a marriage. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Maybe, I'm sorry, once a week. I'll see you on Sunday. Woohoo! Love ya. See you next Sunday. Oh, but I gotta go to the lake this weekend. That's not a marriage. And if you're expecting that that is what a marriage is, then don't ever have the ceremony, because the ceremony is a false idea and understanding of what it truly means in a life that is surrendered to another person. You want to know how I know I'm married? I live in her presence daily. We celebrate the good moments. We rejoice with each other. We cry together. We sometimes disagree. I know, pastors disagree too. We have to forgive. We practice grace. But there is a relationship that exists day in, day out because we have surrendered our lives to each other We carry each other's name with us. Marriage is a symbol of the way that we're supposed to live with Christ. Let me be real vulnerable with you, if I may. Pastors, sometimes people go, are you ready for Easter? Woo! Pastor, woo-hoo! I know this is your Super Bowl! Easter Sundays are very difficult for most pastors. Because we look at the masses of people who show up and desperately want you to know how good and faithful God is. And I know many of you will not be back next week. But what if today? What if I could just kind of say, for just a moment, can you lay aside the fact that I'm called pastor and hear the testimony of a red-headed Texan who married a woman outside his capability. <laughs> who sometimes uses the word ain't in sermons and tells horrible puns way too often. That God is good. And the reason that I'm a pastor is because I want you to experience his goodness. And through the struggles and the pain and the difficulty of saying, God, what is your will, I have always found he is faithful and just and kind, even when I don't fully understand. And I want you to know him. Not twice a year know him. Not know of his existence. I want you to learn to walk with him through prayer. I want you to learn to read his word and value his presence. I want you to know how to hear his voice. And the result of that is, I believe, marriages can be saved. The shackles of addiction can fall. Anxiety begins to dissipate. Loneliness, gone. Gone. Because we find that in the presence of God We Were made Whole Oh and it's a struggle As any good Person who's married will tell you There's times it's a struggle But it is worth Everything So I want to show that sinner's prayer one more time If I can Because this is actually a really good prayer Prayer but it has to be said as an Ebenezer marker of what's happening within. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes, and I ask for your forgiveness. And I believe that you died for my sins, my mistakes, my selfishness, my pride, and that you rose from the dead. I believe the Easter story is real and that you are alive, and I ask you to come into my life today and to be my Lord and Savior, to live with me. If you've never done that, we want to help you with that. We'd love to talk to you about that with some people in front of the room after the service. Maybe sometimes you need to go, I'm not ready to do that yet, but I'm, I'm, I want to know more. So I want to give you a closing daily challenge today. Just like I do every week and this is to also the same people who may have drifted away for a while You believe this but you haven't lived with jesus for a while Here's what I would encourage you Commit to worshiping with other believers in a gospel-centered church So because some of you are from out of town, you don't have to come here In fact, if you don't want to come here and you want to go to other churches in town, i'll give you the list of other good churches in town All right They're not against us. They're on our team team jesus (laughs) And give it for the next six weeks but what about the lake? Give it for the next six weeks. But what about give it for the next six weeks? Immerse yourself in understanding what it looks like to truly try to learn how to seek the presence of God. And see if things don't begin to change. See if His peace, His hope, see if the things and the struggles of this world begin to dissipate as you learn to walk closer to Him and hear me. There will be struggles. There will be lamenting. But one day, the Ebenezer we have of the empty tomb and the Ebenezer we have of the cross and the Ebenezer that we have of Isaac's example is the Lord will provide. And one day, all of that will dissipate because we will be with him forever and ever and ever. I hope you come back next week as we talk about what's next. That's literally the title of it. What's next? It's a genius title, right? But he is good. And you can give him everything today. Let go. He is risen. Father, may we surrender to you. May you have our everything. May you be our source of strength, our source of joy, our source of hope. God, right now we pray for shackles. To fall. We pray that we're able to encounter your presence. We pray that we would wrestle with our salvation. To be able to look up, because our faith will surely falter, but that does not change what you've done. Because every story reminds us. Of not only where we've come but where we're going and it's to the foot of the cross because you are good you are our, our joy our salvation our hope our eternity thank you for being alive in your name we pray